I want to uh, just read some verses of scripture to start with from 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And um, I'm reading from the New Living Translation. And verse, starting at verse 2. I'm writing to God's church in Corinth. To you who have been called by God to be his own holy people. He made you holy by means of Christ Jesus. Just as he did for all people everywhere who call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. May God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. I always thank God for you and for the gracious gifts he's given to you. Now that you belong to Christ Jesus, through him God has enriched your church in every way. With all your eloquent words and all of your knowledge. This confirms that what I told you about Christ Jesus is true. Now you have every spiritual gift you need as you eagerly wait for the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. He will keep you strong to the end so that you will be free from blame on the day when the Lord Jesus Christ returns. God will do this for he is faithful to do what he says and he has invited you into partnership with his son. Jesus Christ, our Lord. You've been called by God. And he calls us into what he is doing. We are likely to ask God to do and come and get involved in what we are doing. But God has called us into his plan, into his purpose, to do his powerful work, for his glory. At the start of this letter, uh, Paul begins by reminding the people of their holy calling. I, I love the way that everything is focused on what God does. If you just listen to the words here, you have been called by God, you're his people. He made you holy by means of Christ. And just as he did for all people everywhere. The gifts he has given you. God has enriched your church, this church. It's all about him. It's not about us. And he calls us to come into what he is doing. Now thoughts uh, a number of times as I read the scriptures, wouldn't it be great to go back to the time when the early church was established and experienced that early church, the day of Pentecost, in that upper room when tongues of fire, the Holy Spirit fell on the 120 people in that upper room. Wouldn't it have been great to be standing there with them and to experience the fire of God falling upon you and the move of the Holy Spirit in that way? to have experienced what it was like to meet from house to house, to gather together, to hear the apostles as they taught, and knowing the favor of God in community, and uh, the sharing meals together, and sharing their possessions and life together in this way. To have experienced that, that would have been quite something, wouldn't it? Some of us might want to go back just a few years and experience the early days of Kingsway. 
Maybe you've heard stories about healings that took place, of visions and prophecies and the worship that continued through the night, powerful times of encounter. Maybe you were there and you realized that in the midst of it all, there was brokenness, there was stress and tiredness. There was all manner of problems going on that maybe it wasn't as, uh, as, as wonderful as you have imagined. You could easily get the idea that church was so uncomplicated back then, whenever that back then was. And then we read Paul's letter to the Corinthians. And Paul is having to address issues that threatened to wreck the life of the church and the ministry in Corinth. The church was, uh, that, uh, that Paul founded there, I don't think we can read any other account of a church that had more problems than that in Scripture. There was so much going on and so many difficulties. I look at that and read that and think, where do you begin? But it's clear that God had poured out his spirit upon these people. And even so, there's still a lot of messed up lives. They lived in a culture that presented a continual challenge to how the church, um, how to be the church in, in the world and how to keep the world out of the church. Paul lists the sort of sins that were part of the Corinthians' former way of life. They'd been sexually immoral, idolaters, adulterers, male prostitutes, homosexual offenders, thieves, greedy, drunkards, slanderers, swindlers. And among the church members, some of these practices were still going on. There was still a problem. And I don't believe the context of the church back then is that much different to today. The difficulties Paul dealt with um, in, in his day... What we see today in our society and in our culture. And that's why this book and the Bible is such a rich resource to us to draw on as we try and figure out how to be the church in the 21st century. There were divisions in the church, immorality to deal with. There were lawsuits amongst believers, sexual immorality, marriage problems, idolatry. And the need to understand about foods that had been offered to idols. There was gluttony at the Lord's table, misuse of spiritual gifts, a lack of appreciation for other people and their giftings, disorderly worship. Where do you begin? In the midst of it all, Paul shows the design for church. It's a body which, uh, which functions, every part needs to function as God has called. Without one another, the body just uh, is ineffective. And it's every joint that supplies. It's where we join together, where we're connected, where the limbs and the, uh, and, and the organs are joined together and are together and functioning in this way. And then he speaks of love as the most excellent way. It is love that never fails, he says. And God has called us out to be his own holy people. A church in the world but a church that's not of the world. And this is a scripture, this is a message that we see throughout the scripture, uh, throughout the scriptures. We're no longer of the world. We have a new origin. And we're of God. And Paul spoke very differently on uh, directly on the need to uh, separate yourself from unrighteousness. Just turn with me for a moment to 2 Corinthians. And uh, chapter 6. Verse 
He says this, do not be yoked, verse 14, do not be yoked together with unbelievers. For what do righteousness and wickedness have in common? What, does fellowship with, uh, what fellowship can light have with darkness? What harmony is there between Christ and Belial? What does a believer have in common with an unbeliever? What agreement is there between the temple of God and idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will live with them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. Therefore, come out from them and be separate, says the Lord. Touch no unclean thing, and I will receive you. I will be a father to you, and you will be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. God has called us to be a different people, people of the light, people who walk a different walk, no longer consumed by the passions and the things of this world, but a people of God, the living God, a new way of life, a different way of life. We have a new beginning, a new birth, a new family tree. We're now members of Abraham's faith family. A family, our roots go back 4,000 years. We follow in his footsteps. Abraham was a man who was immersed in the Babylonian culture. They built houses that wouldn't look out of place in our day. It was an advanced culture, a wealthy society. But when God called Abraham, Abraham became disenchanted by the life he had in the kingdom of comfort. His response wasn't, how wonderful, now I can have God in my life. Abraham didn't try to get God into his story. What happened was that God got Abraham into his big story. I wonder to what extent we've been trying to get God or Jesus into our pre-set lifestyles. God wants us to come out of the kingdom of comfort, out of the world, out of the darkness, and into his story. By faith, we come into the community of faith that stretches back these 4,000 years to Abraham. And before then, we come into God's story and gain a new history as well as a new, a new future. We've come into this strange new world of the Bible. We give up our own self-directed life to become the church. The ongoing story of the Bible, folks, it continues with us. The Bible seeks to catch us up in this great saga of God's dealings with humanity. We've been caught up in God's dealings with Israel, grafted in amongst the branches. In 1 John, let's turn to that with, uh, with me, 1 John 1. And starting at verse 1. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard and we have seen with our eyes, which we've looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared and we've seen it and testified to it and proclaimed to you the eternal life which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you that we have seen and what we have seen and heard so that you may also have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our, uh, we, we write this to make our joy complete. This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light. 
In him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him, yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not live by the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus. His son purifies us from all sin. We've been brought into that which was from the beginning. It's when we enter God's story, then we walk together in the light. I'm so glad I've entered into God's story, aren't you? I'm now a person of the book. I'm now a person that has a different history, a different heritage, if you like. I'm a man of God. And you're a man and a woman of God. We're the people of God. We have a new story, a new future. Isn't it great to know that we can walk in the footsteps of Abraham? That we can be people of faith? We're amongst the all people everywhere who call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ that we read about a moment ago. We could and should perhaps make this personal. I'm writing to God's church in Kingsway Christian Fellowship who have been called to be his own people. Called out of darkness into light. Called and separated to be God's very own. A holy and separated people. The call is always to a people not to a church building or a meeting place. We're a group of believers who call ourselves Kingsway Christian Fellowship. We are, in fact, the the people who meet in this house, the people of God here in this house that we call Kingsway Christian Fellowship. You're the church. I'm the church. We're the people of God. We're a body of believers who've been awakened, quickened by the Holy Spirit through through Jesus. God has enriched his body by his living word and given us every spiritual gift we need as we eagerly await his return. Oswald Chambers said this, we're surrounded by things that don't matter. The Christian needs to be a man or woman who chooses what really matters. Don't become average, one of the crowd, when you can become all that God plans. And then he goes on to say, If we feed ourselves on the things of this world, intellectually and affectionately, we'll lose our usefulness to God. What are we feeding on? Are we feeding ourselves on the things of this world? When we can have a heavenly sustenance, we can have the word of God. Why do we eat the pods for the pigs and the swine when we can have the king's food? As new creations, we live in an environment that is a spiritual environment. We have lungs given to us to breathe of the Spirit. Now, can a person live underwater? Well, perhaps they can just for a short time with breathing apparatus and so on. But we live in a new environment, a spiritual environment. We have the Holy Spirit dwelling within us if we believe on him and rely on him. God dwells in us, enabling us to live in this new environment and to walk in this new environment, to see with spiritual eyes, to hear with spiritual ears, to breathe with spiritual lungs, the very environment of heaven. 
when two people come together and pray in agreement, what is freely available in heaven can be released on earth. And what is bound in heaven can be bound on earth. This is the life. And as well as being called out of the darkness, out of this evil age, as it were, we've been called into something. And in this passage in, uh, in 1 Corinthians, I read deliberately from the New Living Translation because it uses the word that we've been called into partnership with God. Listen to what Genesis 12, uh, 1 to 3 says. The Lord said to Abraham, Leave your country, your people, and your father's household, and go to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you I will curse. And all the peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. Abraham was invited into partnership with Almighty God. Leave behind your country, your people, your own relatives. Give up the things that you currently find your identity in, your security, your hopes and your dreams. And go, go on an adventure with me. And if you do this, not only will I bless you, but I will bless all the people of the world through you. And this call to be blessed and to be a blessing is for, for you and for me as well. We're invited to be part of God's story. Come follow me, Jesus said. He's invited us. He's called us into fellowship with his son. And this word uh, partnership is also, in many of the, 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 the versions that we read, uh, translated fellowship or communion also. And it has a particular emphasis here. On partnership. It's a word used uh, both in a spiritual sense and it's also used in a business context, but it speaks of a common purpose. Paul described Titus using the same word koinonos as my partner and fellow worker with you or among you in 2 Corinthians 8 verse 23. In his letter to Philemon, uh, Paul writes on behalf of a runaway slave who having become a believer feels compelled or uh, is, is compelled to return uh, to his master. And Paul appeals to Philemon to welcome his slave back as though he were welcoming Paul himself, not to treat him as slave masters would normally have treated slaves who would run away, but as a brother in Christ. Paul appeals on the basis of love. Here's a man who was formerly useless, probably lazy, rebellious, they may have even stolen from Philemon before running off. And now the slave, whose name is one Simus, has been transformed by the power of God and by the Holy Spirit. And God's using him in the ministry to support Paul. And he's now a man of good character. He's faithful. He's honest. He's hardworking. He's useful to God in the ministry. And Paul appeals to Philemon as a partner, in verse 17, koinonos, and as a fellow worker. The deal Paul's suggesting is this. This useless slave came to me, and through my ministry, he's now become useful to me, to God, and also to you. 
And I'm prepared to pay the costs for him if he owes you anything. But remember, we're partners together for the sake of the gospel. So if you take payment from me, what benefit is that to our joint kingdom endeavor? <laughs> what kind of partnership would it be if you don't loan me this worker? <laughs> if you don't let me and the kingdom of God benefit from this man? We're invited to partnership with Jesus Christ. Isn't it great the way God can take the useless, the runaway, the one who had a wrong spirit, a wrong attitude, can take a hold of that life he can turn it around I'm talking about me here and we're talking about you here he can turn it around and make it useful for his kingdom purposes we've been bought at a wonderful price the price of the Lord Jesus Christ for God's good plan and purpose hallelujah Now, do we see ourselves as partners with God? You might find it easier to relate to God as, as his children. And of course, we are his children, his family. We spoke before about relating to him as being part of the body. And Jesus, of course, is the head. We know he calls us his bride and slaves of Christ, servants of his. Paul, however, sees there is a call to partnership with God. We have a holy calling. We're here with a job to do. Gone are the days when, uh, if they ever existed, when it was okay to have enough faith for our own salvation and no more. Such faith isn't faith at all, is it? We have a purpose in God. A life to live that's not just for our own blessing, our own comfort, our own gratification. We're called to partnership with Jesus. And who has all the resources for this partnership? Where do they come from? Where are they? We read it before. I've given you all the resources you need. I've given of my spirit. I've given you gifts. I've called you. I've got a plan for my life. And you look at it all and say, well, I can't do it. And God says, no, you can't. And that's the whole point, folks, is we can't do it. It has to be the Holy Spirit living in us. It has to be Christ in us. It has to be his work. And the more I try and do it, the harder it gets. The more I realize I can't do it. But God can. And he wants you, you, to draw on him. He wants you to operate under his anointing, under his gifting, to show his glory. It's all about him. In him, through him, are all things, and by him are all things, to God be the glory. Let us not be glory takers by saying we can do it, or even trying ourselves. It's got to be about him. Do you know, if you wanted to become a partner in a law firm, the opportunity is only usually given to the high-ranking uh, in the firm. The partner is invited to have a stake in the business and will share in both the risks of failure and the benefits of success as a business partner. It can be the pinnacle 
of someone's career to become a, a partner in a successful firm. Now, what are the risks involved in this business partnership? Well, you might have to put up all your personal assets, including your home, as security. If the company becomes insolvent, then you're exposed to the risk of losing everything. You can, in some arrangement, limit that exposure of risk by the amount that you invest. There's a reputational risk, your name, your reputation's tied up in the partnership. Then there's the risk to future practice if things go wrong. It may affect your future prospects. It comes with certain expectations. You must win new work, maintain the client relationships, support and develop the staff, set the strategy for the business. As a partner, the level of responsibility and influence increases. Now, of course, we're not dealing with a, a business, but if we're in partnership with Christ, then there's risks and there's benefits. But you know what? We're qualified in Christ Jesus to be a partner. Partners with Almighty God. We've been given an exalted position in the family business. Ephesians 2, verse 6 and 7. And God raised us up with Christ Jesus and seated us together with him in the heavenly realms with Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Jesus Christ. Isn't that great? We're seated with Christ in heavenly places, co-heirs with him. It's a family business, isn't it? Focused on adoption, on family, on discipleship, making disciples, loving one another, glorifying God, living for him. In order to become a, a partner in this business, in this endeavor, in view of God's mercy, I urge you to offer yourselves as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. Don't conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will know what is the good and pleasing and perfect will of God. Mark 8, 34 and 35, and he called the crowd to him, along with the disciples, and said, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. Whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world, yet forfeit his soul? Your assets become his. Your life is his. We cannot limit the liability. Many of us might try to do that. Choose this day who you're going to serve. What about your reputation? I want my reputation to be seen in heaven and to be recognized in heaven. But how many of us want to be seen and recognized here? We just want to be pleasing to the world. But I tell you, it's got to change. We need to be those people who see that God sees everything. God knows everything. I want to please him. It's hard, isn't it? Pride gets in the way. We get in the way. Fear gets in the way, perhaps, at times. But God has given us every resource we need. If only we'll draw on him in our times of weakness, in our times of need. Friends with the world is enmity with God. 
Expect plenty of flack down here whilst storing for ourselves treasure in heaven. But we mustn't forget the benefits of this partnership as well. Psalm 103, verse 1 to 5. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquities, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from destruction and crowns you with loving kindness and tender mercies, who satisfies your mouth with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. What benefits they are. There's expectation. Love God and love other people. Forgive those who sin against us in the manner that God forgave us through Jesus. Serve one another. Live godly lives. Walk humbly with him. Are we a partner or are we a customer? There's a big difference between a partner and a company and someone who the company provides a service for. The church is a partnership. Every believer is a stakeholder. There's no customers or service users in the body of Christ. I've not found a verse yet in scripture that describes me as a customer or a consumer. Have you? There's, of course, a need for people to come to church. We need to, to come and be together and gather together. Maybe you're new to the church and you need to find your place in the church. That's wonderful. Find your place. But let's not remain customers. We have a calling in God. Every one of us is called. Can you imagine the apostles talking about church like this? Hi, Peter. Did you go to church today? How was it? Well, it was okay, Paul. Timothy preached today. It was pretty good. But don't ask me what he spoke about. I can't remember it. The music was a bit off-key, though. Um, I think Jay might have had a throat infection and Tino had too much spit in his trumpet. We're struggling a bit with some of the rotors. Maybe we could have uh, you preach uh, next time, Paul, on servanthood. How's things in your church, Paul? Oh, we've had some great meetings recently. I think the new lighting rig, state-of-the-art PA system, and the smoke machine, they really help give the impression that God's in the house. Do you know, if the church is a venue, people will gather to the best venue, and much of the effort will be spent on production of a great meeting. And if God doesn't turn up, well, that's okay. We're still at a blast. The job of the church isn't to keep the institution going or to keep loyal customers. It's to make disciples. I don't want to sound like I'm having a go at other churches, by the way. You know, there are so many different forms of church and of worship uh, together. I just want to highlight the difference that between building church and church building, as we said a few weeks back. You know, many of these new expressions of church, they do bring young people to church. They do engage with others who wouldn't normally be part of church life. But we need the Holy Spirit. We need the presence of God. We need to be people who seek after him with all of our hearts. My point is that we can be the church without a building and all the extra stuff, but there's no guaranteeing that a building with a church written on it will be the church. 
Maybe we need to simplify things a bit and go back to the very basics of the Christian faith. Reading the scriptures, awakened hearts and new vision, new fear and reverence of God as we heard about last week. After giving the church in Laodicea a very strong rebuke for being lukewarm, Jesus simply asked them to open the door and let him in. He's inviting all of us into fellowship or partnership with him, joining him in what he's doing. In our passage, it says we're reminded to look forward to his return. He's giving us the resources we need for a holy life together in community. He's shown us uh, what he is able to do, and he assures us of his continued help as we walk with him in the spirit. You know, it's no time to be wasting on trivia and what we want from church or what others want in church. We'll be facing him soon. And I want to stay focused on him and what he desires. Nick Harding, uh, many of you know, uh, he has an organization called Kairos Connections and describes in his book, uh, Reimagine Church, the win, as he calls it. He says, what if we understood that the win was found simply in enjoying the rich, full life and community that God has won for us through Christ? What if we discovered that the win was living compellingly attractive lives in the context of his family, inviting others to join us and then watching them do the same for others? What if we found the win was in re uh, reproducing disciples and disciple makers simply by living like that. Our, our focus needs to be on Jesus, on what he wants. We're inviting Jesus in, opening the door to him to join us, but in his endeavor to be transformed into loving people. Many of you have heard me say in numerous occasions that I believe God wants us to be a loving community. I believe there's great power in love and unity. And the challenge for us is how do we become such a community? The phrase one another is mentioned over tw uh, 50 times in the New Testament. Love one another, forgive one another, encourage one another, pray for one another, confess your sins to one another, be kind to one another, give preference to one another, and so on. I believe this is a, a, the win that Christ longs for in his church, a truly loving people who love God and love one another and love the lost. You know, the early church in the book of Acts did what pleased God the most. And it looked quite simple. It says they were devoted to the apostles' teaching the breaking of bread and to prayer. We can do this. I mean, all of us can do this. We have a record of the apostles' teaching and the scriptures, all of the scriptures, as well as a host of Bible helps. And this Holy Spirit can enlighten us. Can't he? I believe he can. We can eat together, break bread together, remembering the Lord Jesus Christ, and we can pray. 
And as they did this, God showed up, and there were many signs and wonders among them, and the church grew and spread rapidly. The simplicity of it, loving God, devoted believers. They came together in, in houses, in small groups of believers, and they gathered together in larger venues as well. The favor of God. We've heard on many occasions that the word of God is living and active. Hebrews 4 verse 12. And all scripture is God breathed to Timothy 3.16. And we should read and come under the word of God with the expectation that it has power. To penetrate deeply into our hearts and into our lives. It has power to transform you. To transform me, it's creative, it works, it does something. The word of God doesn't return empty. Maybe then we would rely less on the big speakers and rely more on the word of God and the Holy Spirit. Over the coming year, I want us to find a richness in this partnership together. And we're going to start a new series of uh, small groups. And we're doing a series called Paraclesis, Journeying Together. And my hope is that through this teaching, uh, on Sundays we'll be teaching as well through the same uh, subject, and uh, through the small group materials, they'll provide within the groups uh, an experience of what it means to pray together, to read the word together, to search things out together, to understand what it means to be in a loving community, how to relate well to each other, how to relate to God better, and how to connect with others along the way who don't yet know the Lord Jesus Christ. I hope together we, we over the coming weeks and months and year, that we experience the power of the word of God, and devotion to prayer, the weekly breaking of bread together in our small groups. My hope is that through these gatherings, there'll be growth in our walk with God individually, as well as as a church. Your friends impacted, your neighbors impacted, your work colleagues being impacted through the transforming power of the Holy Spirit in your life. Because God pours in, he transforms us, he changes us, so that we can be light to others and bring this wonderful good news to others that we start to do before we say, because we've been transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives and people see there's something different about me. Whatever your context is in the church, whether it's the age well or Bible study or Sunday school or music or youth or whatever, these basic elements should be present in our meetings and our gatherings. The word of God and prayer and fellowship together in this deep way, connecting with God. We need to be asking, what is God saying and what am I going to do about it? We're going to break bread together. And the breaking of bread is central to our faith and our fellowship life together. As we remember the, the body and the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now we're reminded of his love for, for, for each one of us. That he would give himself for us and die for us that God would actually give up his only begotten son for us. 
It's a reminder of our escape from captivity in sin and darkness and in our inclusion in this great plan of redemption that we might be called children of God and partners with him. As we take the bread and the wine, let's remember that we've been forgiven and we also need to forgive others. In the same way that you've been forgiven by the Lord Jesus Christ, if you hold anything against anybody else, you need to get that right now. Get it right in your heart if you hold unforgiveness or bitterness or resentment against anybody. This is serious. Remember the Lord Jesus Christ. He paid the greater debt, the greater price. And we need to come before him and get our hearts right now. And if you can't do that, then let the cup and let the bread just pass you by and get yourself right with God and with others. Just as the Lord Jesus laid his life down for us, so we also should lay our lives down for one another. Let's bow our heads and pray. Father, we... Thank you, Lord, for the holy calling, Lord, on each one of our lives. We thank you, Lord, that you've called us to come into your purposes, your plans, and your ways. To come out of our own way, to no longer walk in darkness, to walk together in your wonderful light. Thank you for your living words and may it penetrate deeply into our very spirit and soul. Transform us and change us by the power of your Holy Spirit. And may we be truly the people of the living God. In Jesus' name. Amen.